do it. Let's just do it. Freestyle. Yeah, we're just going. We're going to freestyle. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is go ahead. This is Kev. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this is me. Uh, I'm joined with Iggy and Andrea. Um, Iggy, quick introduction. How how do we know each other, man? Uh, I met Kev when I transferred to Cornell from TC3, upstate New York. Uh, he lived on the same floor as me, uh, Becca Hall, and uh, we kicked this. I don't know how do how do we link? We think we started playing basketball a few times. Yeah, I I, I lived in the room right next to you, right? And I guess the the hall wasn't like totally social, but I think the the rooms adjoining each other for our particular segment were. Right. Um, so yeah, like kept the door open, said hello. Yeah, Kevin was interesting that way. He like always have his door wide open, and like I'm so private. I'm like. Oh, my door's always closed. Like, what the fuck? What are you this, doing? this is like a freshman trick, right? Like, when you first move to class, everyone's like, oh, keep, you should keep your door open and, like, see who the hell walks in. Oh, right? yeah. I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> I locked every door. I lock my door now. Like, I have my own apartment and still lock my bedroom door while I go to sleep. Yeah, I actually check, like, oh, does the bedroom or, like, the bathroom have locks? Like, these are things that, like, I still check if I, like, go somewhere. Yeah, if right. I stay somewhere, so. Look at that. I, I guess that's the background, more or less. But, <laughs> yeah, to, to give it short, like, that's how we met. Yeah. Um, and we also have with us, uh, Andrea. Andrea's as well. here as well. Quick intro. Hi. How are you everybody? So I know Kev through Iggy, and I met Iggy at Cornell. She's around now. <laughs> now, we, now we live together and we have a dog. <laughs> how, how many years ago was that? Uh, six years. Six years of your parents also not knowing, right? Ooh, wow. spicy. <laughs> so, interesting. so I think Andrea came over to see my family. Uh, I would say like a month or like a few months into it, right? Because uh, mom, yeah, like it was like it was only a few months into it. Um, yeah, my, my family's really open to all like all kinds of stuff like that. I, I've 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 actually brought home not in like a like a trying to glorify this, but like that. But uh, just like you know, I've had you know, I've, I've dated like okay. uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm trying to make it seem, I'm like you're gonna hear that thing always trying to be cool. No, nothing like that. It's more like I've like had all kinds of girlfriends from like different kinds of like different races and backgrounds. And so I never even really thought. I think honestly, in meeting Andrew, I thought I realized it was a luxury. Like I had never even thought like that mattered. Um, I, my siblings were really stupid though. So like they like because like we grew up in like in this. In, one part of the Bronx where everybody around me is like black or Latino. So we, I didn't never grew up around anybody who was Asian. Um, I'm not sure if anybody knows that. Andrew's Asian, by the way, and I am black and Dominican. Uh, so I grew up in an environment where we didn't, I, we didn't like meet any Asian people. So my, remember when you came over and they were like, do you make like sneakers and stuff? And I was like, that oh is racist. God. Like, this is ridiculous. Oh uh, yeah, like you get dumplings or something. Oh. Yo, how old were your siblings? Oh, at the time they were like she had to be like eleven or twelve or something like that. Oh my god! But it's like what? Well, that's the first thing that comes to <laughs> mind. Is like she's Chinese. I was like, no, she's not Chinese. Stop saying that. Like, there's a difference between these places. But then you realize quickly, like, wow. I think I only know the differences now because I'm in college and like I'm like knowing I'm getting to know people and stuff. But I think growing up for them, it's like it's all the same. So, you know, it's like whatever. White is white. Black is black. You know, Asian is Asian. So. Or Asian to Chinese, I guess, to them. So I think for my family, um, so we're pretty small. There's like seven of us in the country. Um, so my family immigrated here, and it was actually pretty recent that um, my family got their green card. So I think that plays a big factor in terms of my family really, I think they're super prideful and like cares a lot about what other people think. You know, he's like perfect. Like if you like see, like I think if I if all of this is just to like hand over a resume to like my family and like just like you know telling them his story and all that stuff, he's the perfect man. The only thing is just like 
it's it's been so long like we've been we've hit six years like we're going to hit six years soon and the only thing that I keep thinking about is the potential of like having to lose my family from that because I know that they won't be truly accepting and won't be open-minded about it uh to give context I'm Korean um and I've always just been taught and like my upbringing was just you have to bring home a Korean man I mean, the other, the other qualification is like, he has to be smart and he's tall and, you know, he has a good job and has good, you know, family background, all those things. But at the core of it, it's like, he has to be Korean, but it was like a, an explicit, just like they expected me to go to college. It was kind of like they expected me to bring home like a Korean man. When I was an undergrad, um, I, I chose to, uh, to pursue a Latina sorority. And that was like a big thing in my family where they're like, why would you do this? Like, why would you want to, like, be a part of this? This is not a sisterhood. You have to have a sisterhood with Asian people. And, like, they're just very, like, it's, it's a very ignorant thing to say. But that's just, like, all they knew. And then they disowned me for a few years. So I knew even for that, just joining an organization um, that wasn't Asian-based was really big on and hard on them. I could only imagine, like, what kind of reaction it would be for us to kind of <laughs> go to them. It's been six years, man. <laughs> it's going to be real awkward when it's like, oh, I date this black guy now. And it's like, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. It's like, oh, no, actually, we have a dog. We have an apartment. <laughs> uh, we share, like, uh, uh, bills. We share the bills, you know what I'm saying? The Wi-Fi is mine. Like, <laughs> oh, we've been doing this for a long time now, so I feel like that's going to be an interesting conversation where it's like, there is no input from you. We, we are together now. At the end of the day, I know my family loves me. It's just... I have to also just kind of live my life too, because this is my life. They're not going to live it for me. So just kind of have to, I don't know. I think that's what happened. It's like when they say ignorant things now, I push back on it. I feel like all my life I was pretty quiet and took a back seat and never really said anything to push the boundaries because that's just like how I was taught. Like, especially being a woman um, in my family, like we, we just like kind of like nod our heads or like just kind of like serve the food on the on the table whatever we just kind of went along with it and that's what I watched and oh that's the only thing I knew and now I'm getting to the, the space where I'm like no it's my job to kind of make sure my younger cousins that they don't think this way or like talk in this manner or believe anything and now we're able to have like screaming conversations about like no that's stupidly that's stupid that's ignorant like why are you saying that and it's okay and they know that that's just me they they just like oh Andrew's having her moment again like now it's not they don't come out of anger to me when I'm like lashing out they just find it like oh this is Andrea again just like trying to push something on us so Everyone asks me often, like, why haven't you pushed for, you know, you, you've been with this girl for a long time now, like, and she effectively lives with you, and now you literally are going to be living together. It's like, why haven't you pushed for this? And personally, I'm just like, I, I, well, this is something I know that if she does tell her family this and the, po the possibility of them, like, disowning her, you kind of got to make sure this is it, you know? The last thing you want to do is say, yo, this is my boyfriend, and they disown you, and then we break up, like, two days or two weeks later. And it's like, what the hell was the point? What was the point of all this, you know? Um, so I never really was pushing it that much. And Is there, like, a desired outcome or a best-case scenario? Oh, yeah. I'm just being like, great. I already knew. I'm glad you finally came out and told us. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, like, I, Iggy always jokes saying, like, they're not stupid. They definitely know. 
you gotta understand. Like this, this woman, like for the last six years, hasn't. So if she, if you live with somebody, these are your, these are your parents, right? If you live at home, and f- for the past six years you have not stayed at home except for one day a week, every day, like. You mean for the past year? Fine, at least for the past year. You don't go home except for once a week. You're just gone all the time. I would go out and let me assume as a parent, she's seeing somebody. <laughs> she's living with somebody. And Andrew's under the belief that, no, they just think I'm with my friend, like, helping her watch her dog. And I'm like, that's insane. Like, no parent is believing that. You, wait, you were here six out of seven? <laughs> oh, I, she, she stays here every day except one day a week. Where Do it's we like, need the conversation? <laughs> point? Like, I, I think it's clear. Like, where are you? Like, <laughs> like well, what is there to be gained from the conversation, really? Like, you actually don't have to it's have It's just it. putting, I would imagine, what they already know. In the air, right? That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. My friends, my friends all joke that they they said either they already know that you're with him or they just think that you're with one of us, like one of my best friends or like one of my sisters, like from my sorority. Yeah, six out of seven's a little. <laughs> <laughs> like if you went, if you had a child, you'd be like, um, something's afoot. <laughs> like, what friend of yours? Who is the friend again? Like, you don't even know the friend's name. <laughs> it's just like, oh, some friend of mine is letting me stare at their place all day, every day. <laughs> Cause I walk the dog. It's like, nah, I don't know, man. I'd probably have a little. I have a few questions for my daughter. <laughs> that was the, what she came home and told me. And, and it's coming up soon, right? Yeah, we're moving in to our apartment right now. I live with my roommate, a good buddy of mine from law school. Uh, but we're gonna move into our own apartment in like two weeks. What about you, Kev? Talk to us. What, 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 what are your family's thoughts? About dating, and my family thought on your your on your relationship, <laughs> <laughs> on, on on dating and on who you date. Do they care? Is that, is that something they would care about? I've never had a, a situation where I had to seriously think about it and like consider having a serious conversation. It's been like a passing question, right? Mm. And so it's simply one of preference. But I think they've already given up on me. Said, <laughs> you know, if this guy's just gonna go, he's just gonna go. Um, but I think there is like a certain level of trust and. Uh, I think they also feel that I probably wouldn't go extremely beyond their preferences just right. based on like my upbringing. Right. But if let's say I bring in, uh, let's say like a black or a Hispanic person yeah. into the household, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. So on my perspective would be like, if I love this person, like, like peace, right? Like yeah, you're going to take it. I don't know how many years it's going to take you or like if you're not going to take it, but this is happening. Um, so I would envision that it's a similar mindset on your end as you approach the conversation as well. Uh, but any other thoughts would love to hear, but that, that's, that would be my assumption at this point in time. And the reason I might shift it over to Iggy right now is Uh-oh. this guy keeps asking me about my job. So I wonder, you know, how comfortable are you with having followed what you really want in going into law uh, and, and taking this path here? Oh this man. is quite this is quite a pivot, but oh man, yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> she's ta- when she's talking about, you know, she's been able to follow what she's wanted. Oh, I see. I wonder I see. if, you know, what has brought Iggy to law? Because this is something that's come up um, the last few times. We've okay, that's too. that's a good one. Uh, I don't think so. If I, how can I say this and not get fired? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I work at a great place with great people, and um, and I, I genuinely mean that. Um, but I will say I'm not doing what I want to do with the law degree I've had. I think I I think I went into law specifically for like three reasons. 
I would say. Uh, I, growing up, I was like extremely like poor. Basically, I grew up in the Bronx, um, and we had a like large household, seven of us. I'm the oldest of seven, and you know, I, I knew what it was not to have any kind of money coming up. Uh, so I knew I wanted to pursue a career where I was going to make some money or like, you know, oh, like the prospect of me making money was always going to be there. So when I was at Cornell, uh, majoring in like sociology, I was like, oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> there aren't any, <laughs> there are too many high making jobs after this in sociology. So I said, what other career can I pursue? And then law came up as the one that like, that gave you a lot of money. So I said, oh, bet law. But in addition to that, it was a couple of reasons. I feel like you know, growing up in society, I've grown up in, in sort of the neighborhoods I've come up in, and my experiences, I felt like a law degree was something that I still feel like it's kind of equipped me with like a shield or some kind of like weapon to use against, you know, a society that deems me to like to be like a threat to them at all times. So, you know, it comes down to like police officers, how I engage with the cops. I definitely feel more empowered now that I know that I know the law, I know my rights, I know that I'm a lawyer. It definitely feels like I'm, I'm equipped with something that allows me to like protect myself or protect my family, or protect like those that I love. Um, so that's an, that's ultimately what brought me to the law, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess knowing the law equips you with kind of general knowledge that in everyday life is pretty useful in yeah. very practical situations, you right. know, perhaps in the neighborhoods that you did grow up in. Right. I must say I have an anecdote to share about policemen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> All right, so th- this is completely... This is when I wish I knew that law, right? Yeah, And exactly. so here's a story. So... In high school, I interned at Merrill Lynch. Look, I was not an investment banker at 16 <laughs> years old, right? But our high school had a program which set us up uh, with companies of our choice. So all the pre-med kids, they went to a nearby hospital, all kind of the business kids. We had a partnership with Merrill Lynch and their private wealth manager. This is practice. high school? Yeah. This is nuts. Wow. <laughs> we were very fortunate, Whoa. but honestly, we didn't really know. It was just, you know, all the seniors had done it. So we were like, okay, we'll go ahead. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I went into the office in a suit and just like shuffled some papers for a couple of months. And like, that was the end of like, the internship, right? Like we can't really analyze anything. We're, we're you too afraid like, of just being tables. in that environment. Right. Um, and so after that went to Cornell, uh, finished my first year and, you know, wanted to keep in touch with my old boss. Right. And so I put on a suit, uh, freshman year summer and headed over to the office, had a nice chat and came back. But naturally, when you're having a conversation with someone you respect, your testosterone's running, your metabolism is running, and you get hungry. <laughs> so I'm taking the seven train back, right? And growing up, my favorite place was Sammy's Halal on 74th Street, okay? This place has won the Vendi. So the Vendi is an award given to like the best street food vendor in New York City each year. So it's won the Vendi, and it has a post-it on its cart. So I'm like, all right, let me you know, slip out and get like a $5 Halal. I have it. And I'm thinking, like, listen, like, nobody's even at the station right now. I just burned through all my cash. I'm still a student. I don't have money. So I'll just duck under the turnpike. Like oh, you ducked. <laughs> I ducked under that and just started walking. And I'm like, dude, this station's always empty. And suddenly, the worst thing happens as I'm, like, sweating my ass off in this suit in July with, like, 3,000 calories newly in my body. Like, hey! Like, I turn around, and, like, of course, it's some guy in, like, a baggy policeman uniform. Oh, it must be a policeman. (laughs) So, like, this guy walks, and I'm like, oh, hello. Like, I can't even smile. Like, I know I just committed a crime. (laughs) So, like, oh, hi. And he's like, you know what you just did? It's like, yeah. (laughs) He's like, all right, I'm writing you a ticket. I'm like, ah, shit. Well, uh, I guess I'll pay 100 bucks and get out of here. But what happens is, like, he takes my name and my information, 
and then I'm just like standing there, and he like he sees his buddy walk through, and he's talking to him like, "Oh, how's the car? How's the cat?" And I'm like, mm. "So I guess like after this conversation, we'll give you my ticket, right? Like he has people to talk to, he has his whole social life to get to, but his social life is happening right before my eyes. So he's just like taking all these people that come in and like having conversations with them, and I eventually end up standing there for a full hour. Wow! Like a full hour, like in my like baggy suit, sweating." <laughs> And he just holds me victim for that <laughs> He's period of your time. hostage there? And then after a while, he just gives me the ticket and I go home and I had to pay like 150 bucks or so. So yeah. I was like, mm, I mean, I don't know what to do in that situation, but he just wasted an hour on top of the fine. Naturally, oh, yeah. I think even though I look quite young, even like today at age almost 26, I look like I could be 18 years old if I wore different clothing. Right. I guess back then at age 18 with the suit on, like 35, <laughs> he held me like a real criminal. <laughs> so I think the outfit really screwed me over that day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like, so me and Iggy and Mark, another friend of ours from that initial hallway back in yeah. sophomore year, we were talking about this incident and apparently that guy was like overstepping his a power a little yeah, bit, right? 100%. It's like when, when he, Kevin was telling me the story, I was just like, what? You can't hold me and detain me here like for an hour and change while you converse with your pals. See, like, when you use the word detain, I'm like, oh my God, like this is actually like yeah, abuse. Yeah, you can't just keep of me here. Of power. It's like it's if I did something illegal that I can be arrested for, then arrest. tell me I'm arrested or like arrest me and say I'm detained and I, now I'm under arrest. And then, you know, there's a whole like, series of procedures that come after that otherwise give me my ticket and let me leave like this would never fly like with somebody who knew that they that this is impossible like i have places to be you know sure i shouldn't have hopped the train or your case went under you know i shouldn't have done that but look if it's a crime that that, that manifests you keeping me here no then like give me my ticket and let me leave please sir so i just thought that was hilarious imagining kevin like in a rumpled suit like just sweating like walking around with this guy as he talks to his friends i was like this is ridiculous so yeah, small moments like that. I'm like, thank God I know the law, because that's not happening. I got, I got, I got, I got to get out of here, man. Like, <laughs> I got to get out of here. But you had a much bigger moment as well up at school. That oh yeah, happened in our conversation with oh, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one involves Andrew as well, so she gets to chime in as well. Yeah. Um, I have had my 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 interactions, and so this is an, another reason why I decided to go to law school because I thought, you know, let's hope it helped check me in my life. Is um, I've had un- unfortunate run-ins with the police, and uh, you know, even growing up in a bad neighborhood, people always t- you know you think about you know violence and guns and what have you. And I was telling Kevin Mark that I have had a gun pointed in my face three times on three separate occasions, and in every one of those occasions, it was the police officers. Uh, first time I was twelve, they raided my apartment with the wrong with no warrant, and then a second time with a with a with a with a faulty warrant and and that first time they, uh, they pointed the gun at me and I was like 12 but I'm, I'm I should say for you guys I'm pretty tall so maybe at that time at that age I might have been I still might have been looking menacing even though I had no facial hair and it's just skinny you know some gangly kid at 12 years old um that was the first time I had a gun pointed in my face and that was terrifying um so they like pointed at me as they were clearing the hall telling me to get down everybody shut you know shut the fuck up get on the floor um the second time I was on the, uh, my friends, one of my friends, the one friend on my block who had parents who had jobs, he had a car somehow. So we used to always kick it with him and like kick it in the car and stuff. And then we saw the police running into my building. Uh, and so we're just in the car looking, you know, kind of shifting around, looking to see who's going to come out. Because when a police run up in the building like that, you assume it's going to be like a raid or something. Some, it's going to be something, something's going to go down. 
And I guess we didn't know that there were undercover police people behind our car. So when they saw us moving around to see what was going on, they thought we were doing something illegal. And so I don't know why we always locked the doors, but somehow I remember the next moment while we're looking, the next moment the door just swing open and it's like, get the fuck out the car. I was like, oh shit. And at that moment I'm staring at a barrel of gun again. I got damn. I should say, the barrel of the gun, that shit is huge. <laughs> you look like, you're like, oh, no, this is, I'm going to die today. Like, I was like, oh, shit. So they pull us out of the car, and they're like, what the hell are you guys doing in the car? Which, in hindsight, like, if anybody else was in the car, like, just looking or moving around, you wouldn't think anything of it. That wouldn't be reasons to draw your guns and drag them off the car. But uh, they pull us out of the car, ask us what the hell we were doing moving around so much, fidgeting. And we said, we were trying to see what the hell was happening here. You guys are running in the building. We wanted to see what was going on. Uh, they let us rock. You know, that was nothing. I think the, the most troublesome uh, time I had a gun in my face is the third time because at this point in my life, I'm no longer in the Bronx, right? I'm not, I'm not in the hood. This is me at Cornell University as a Cornell University student. So I'm going to pack this door. This is what happened. So we lived on the first floor a little off campus, and my, one of my roommates locked himself out of his bedroom. So he spent the night at his girlfriend's house, who was at like some sorority on, on uh, close to North Campus. And he comes back the next morning and decides to walk through his own window because he's the first floor. Fuck it. Like, whatever. I can't, my, my keys are in there. <laughs> no one's awake. Like, if I'm not going to door, my friends with my, my, my roommates will be pissed. So he decides to go through his bedroom door. I mean, sorry, through his bedroom window, you know, and, you know, proceed to live. And I guess someone called the cops because he saw a black man going through a, a first floor window. And, um, Someone called the cops. And what happened was, we were I was getting ready to go to oceanography. <laughs> like, <laughs> Angel and I getting up in the morning. Get that easy A. Yeah, that yeah. easy A. You know, you know the medium It was going to be easy. So I'm getting up, and I'm like, ah, oh, come on. And we, Angel and I just had an argument the day before we made up. We're good now. I get up, and look, I've been Her here face before. something else, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I get up, and I'm hearing some shuffling in the, in the living room. And then, so, you know, I'm not a fool now. You know, I peek out in the bedroom. And I see my one of my, my one of my roommates. He just gets like flipped by the cop, right? And I said, "Oh shit!" Close the door immediately, right? Right? And I said, "Babe, get your clothes on. The cops are here. <laughs> you don't want to. Be, I've been here before. You don't want to be naked when the cops are running through the house, you know? But I'm in my drawers. I'm just in my boxers here. I'm taking sure she gets her shit together. Like, please get your clothes on. Close the, uh, the doors. Close. And in that moment, I realized, Ig, you can't surprise these people. You know, these are cops with guns drawn. You surprise them, you might die. You know. So I go." I gotta go out there. So I open the door and I'm like, officers, I'm here. I don't want to I don't want to spook you guys. I'm immediately get the fuck on the floor, shut the hell up. And I'm like, ah, I try to use logic, it's not working here. So I again see the barrel of the gun. Huge. It's crazy. And I make the joke that fortunately I had uh I had uh cleaned the carpet the day before because I was like, man, now I'm on the ground with handcuffs on and my face filled with this carpet, and I'm like Thank God I cleaned up, you know, <laughs> because I this would be disgusting. And I'm yelling the entire time, like, I live here. This is my roommate. We all live here. They didn't want to hear any of that shit. They, oh, actually, I'm going to hand over to Angela so she can tell you this part of the story about how she was treated and what she got, what she got to observe. <laughs> all right. Um, so for me, I guess my perspective, I'm kind of reliving it right now. Um, so even before Iggy told me, like, hurry up, put your clothes back clothes on um the cops are here as we were getting ready that morning i had saw like a policeman in the because it was like the ground floor it was like leveled with the outside 
landscape and everything. And I saw this guy and he's like looking around this policeman. And I was like, okay, well that's odd. And I think I made a point. I was like, there's a policeman out there, but maybe he's looking for something. I don't know. But (laughs) I'm literally bawling my eyes out. I'm screaming because I've never had to experience this. This never, ever, ever. I've never had to, this is something you see on TV or like hear you hear on the news and it's happening to my boyfriend. So I'm like freaking out. And this woman comes out and she's, and she like escorts me and put and like sits me down, like on the dining room table. And she's like, it's okay. Everything's good. Calm down. Like, are you breathing? She's like, and I'm like, like screaming, like, what are you doing? He's like literally on the ground. You guys have handcuffs on like him and his friends. And then there's a freaking gun in his face. And she's like, it's okay. It's fine. Just calm down. I'm like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? And they're like, calm down. Everything's fine. Yeah, Andrew's like losing her shit, man. I'm telling you, like, I'm yelling because I'm like, this is what happened to Harry Lewis Gates. Y'all are locking me up in my own house. You know, I'm rafting off like I shouldn't be, you know, on the floor handcuffed and stuff. My roommates are handcuffed on the floor. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did they just walk her ever so gently over to the couch? And I was like, I wonder if there's something about this. But... All right, fine. I, they get me up. She's still bawling her eyes out, so I care about her. So I'm getting more furious because I'm like, not only am I like detained, not, forget detained. Not only did you arrest me like in my own apartment or put the cuffs on my own apartment. I'm telling you, I live here. I have my IDL. I'm in my boxers. And get, oh, this is the funny part of the story. I told, so I'm flipping out once they took the cuffs off of us. I'm like, you didn't ask any questions when you walked in. You just went straight to the gun. You went straight. They were like, this is just protocol. We didn't know what you could have been doing. I said, I'm wearing my boxers. You think, I told you I lived here. And he's like, I don't know if you took your boxers off, <laughs> took your clothes off when you got in. I said, oh, that's what burglars are doing these days, huh? <laughs> They're running in cribs and taking off all their clothes and hanging up pictures of themselves like they should. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then they proceeded to ask you for your ID. Yeah, and I was like, I, it, was, it was incredible. And afterwards, I had to go to oceanography. <laughs> you went, to, went class. to class. Duh. Oh, yeah, dude. That's the crazy part in hindsight. If, you re- if I reflect on it, I'm like, this is wild as shit. I just went to class after they had to live that. That's the trauma. And like, all right. And I still got to go get an A somehow. Oh yeah, you know it's, it's, it's good. all days you're gloomy yeah. up there. It, it looked like that. It, <laughs> it, it was Ithaca, and I got gun in my face. Now I gotta go. we learn about tectonic plates. So while they're moving. Well, when was that? Was that your? This was my uh, my senior year. My senior year. How many years were you in Ithaca at that point? This must be my third year. So I, I went. You mean? Are you including TC three days or no? Yeah, it's included. If you put it all together, probably my fifth year. How? What brought you to TC three? Oh man, that's interesting. Uh, how did I get to TC three from here, from the Bronx? Think about it. It's like you'll cross like a thousand community colleges before you hit yeah, TC3 true. in yeah. the Bronx. This is kind of a chance story, man, to be honest with you. Um, I used to go to this place called The Door. Have you heard of that place? It's Manhattan, down by Avenue's America, I think it's called. No, no. Anyway, I went there because I didn't have health care. So I was like going there because they gave like free uh, physicians, uh, I'm sorry, free physicals and stuff like that. And... I was this, they had this one black doctor who like always saw his patients. He was really cool. And I was like, man, this guy, I want to be like this guy when I grow up, you know? Uh, so he said, you should probably go talk to the people upstairs who do you know, college counseling and stuff like that. So I should say this point in the story that I graduated from high school, no problem, with like a 70 average. And I didn't take the SATs because I had no intentions of going to college, right? That was just not happening. Uh, so I go up there. I'm like, you know what? I want to go to the MBA. So I go upstairs to, the, uh, to go talk to this, this counselor. And I say, I want to go to the NBA. And she's like, oh, well, you, I don't know if you heard, but uh, you need to go to do a year of college before you go to the NBA. I said, bet. Sign me up for Duke. 
<laughs> sign me up for Kansas. You know, like what the, what the I, and I'm trash by the way. I just to know, like I am okay at best at basketball, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll go to Duke and play there, and then I'll go to the NBA. And she goes, um, you need to take SATs, you need a better GPA. So she goes, how about we start with the community college? And she gives me this book. It's a list of all the schools, like upstate and downstate. And I stumbled upon community college on TC3 specifically because not only was it far away from where I was, I wanted to have this kind of upstate experience or like far away from home experience, but they were the only school that had dorms as well. So I was able to like live there. And when I Googled the, rock, the, bat, the team's fucking uh, height and shit, everybody was under six feet tall. So, I mean, under, yeah, so I was like, oh, I'm 6'5". I'm definitely making this team, right? This is, the, <laughs> this is my way in. I'll, I'll just do a year here, and then I'll transfer to Duke, and then I'll go to the NBA. And, uh, yeah, and then I ended up picking TCC that way. It's ridiculous, I know, but somehow it got me to be in Cornell's backyard, and from then on, it, uh, the rest is kind of history. How come you didn't want to go to college the regular way? What does that mean? You what? said, I mean, you ended up going to TC3 because yeah. of basketball, right? Yeah. But you said you had no intention of going to college. Oh, man, I was a terrible student in high school. Straight out of high school. Yeah, there was no way. I wouldn't have gotten into any of those colleges. I, uh, yeah, I hated school, man. I don't have, my school environment was terrible, bro. Like, it's funny how when I talk to other people about their, like, their experiences. There's only, like, kids in the city who have a similar experience. Like, went to school, like, at these rough schools. Uh, for context, I went to Stevenson, which is no longer around as they shut it down. Um, if you don't know the woes of having to wait outside and, and make a line to go through metal detectors and have wet socks because you couldn't wear your boots through the metal detectors, but they wanted you to take them off beforehand because you'll slow up the line. So, oh, because you know, you got razor blades under the bottom of your oh boots my, and it wouldn't oh, pick it up, right? So, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be standing outside in the fucking snow with socks and you're, and you're arguing oh with the security guards like, I'm not taking my shoes off because my socks are gonna get wet. And it, now I'm 8 30 in the morning, I'm pissed because my socks are wet. Like, how do you feel? Like, yeah, learning is not the top of my list today, you know. Oh, so, my God. that's all before homeroom. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I went to school. I just did the bare minimum I needed to get out of there because I didn't want to be there anymore. I was telling Andrew this early. I used to cut school, like, weeks at a time because I had this one shady-ass dude I knew who would let me go work construction. And uh, it was getting way more money than I ever got. It was, like, 350 or so. I would get, like, 350 a week, which for a kid back in the day with no money, that's that good was money. I, that was it. I was, <laughs> I was buying Nikes and shit. All of a sudden, I was flying. I was, you know, people started to notice. I was like, I could do this. Fuck school. Fuck Hamlet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm going to push this concrete. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I had no interest in going to school because I didn't like high school. So I was like, why would I enjoy college? Uh, and that was it. I was kind of aimless, man, honestly. I think, I think what did it for me ultimately, if you want me to get into that, like how I ended up going to school was um, in addition to basketball, Oh, in addition to basketball, I kind of was just like, I was working, I stopped, uh, I graduated from high school, kind of bumming around, didn't do shit, watched my my siblings, you know, the bare minimum, we had food stamps, so I was kind of just like living like, right there. I played basketball at the local, like, boys and girls club, and what happened is my family up and moved to Queens, it's my first time going to Queens, um, and we know nobody in Queens, like, I'm very connected to the Bronx, very connected to Brooklyn. I, I don't think I've ever been to Queens, actually. So now we're in the middle of Queens, don't know anybody, and my mother loses all public assistance. So we have no welfare anymore, we, we have no food stamps, we have no Medicaid, we have nothing. And I think although I've, like, think I, I've always been below the poverty line, having grown up in this environment, like this is when I knew what it was like to be really poor. Like poor, poor when it's like, we'd have had no f- money for food. So we were like going to like local churches and shit like that. Ask, I don't know if you know about it, they give out food to, like, the, to the homeless and give out food to folks like us who didn't have it 
and I was like, damn, like we are poor, poor. I remember like we had like was like fighting for like a beef patty or something like that. Um, because my girl was my ex girlfriend was living with me at the time. I don't know why my mother allowed that. And my brothers had his ex girlfriend living with him at the time. It was crazy. So we're all just scrounging, looking for coins around the apartment. I, I made this one joke. I was like, look, if you ever want to learn how to lose weight, like just be poor. Like you you'll give you lose it quick because there's nothing to eat. Um. But anyway, in that, in that environment, I was like, I can't live like this. We can't live like this. I saw my mother the most distressed she's ever been in her life. There was nobody else around to help. I said to my mother, if you can scrounge up $20, I will go get a job. I needed $20 because I looked like like I was crazy. I had a whole ass, big ass afro, like with a crazy mustache. Like, you wouldn't hire me, you know, like if I walked in looking the way I looked. So I got, she gave me the $20, uh, and I went and started working at McDonald's like the next like week. Walked in there and said, hey, uh, you hiring? <laughs> That's it. And for the next two years of my life, I was I was working Mickey D's, man. Wait, so you were living on benefits in the Bronx? Oh, I lived on benefits my whole life. Mm. Yeah, no, I never was off of it. But it looks like Queens was where things really took a turn. What happened? Yeah. I think it was just a matter of like having lost those benefits. I think it was, I think a certain, I don't know what, what it is exactly, but there's definitely things you have to like do to keep your benefits. And I think she might have missed something. Like if it was like you have to make this appointment and this appointment, and for some reason, you can't make the appointment, they'll just cut you off. So I think that's what happened. Like, I don't think she knew what she was doing when she was getting into moving to Queens, a place that we didn't know anybody, we didn't have family there. Um, yeah, so that's what happened. She just cut, it got cut off. And that, then we were really struggling, you know. So. Mm. So, so prior to the McDonald's gig, where would you invest your time? I mean, I know, you're, I know you as a very ambitious and, like, pretty productive person. And you were in a pretty tough environment to make productivity happen, right? Yeah. Where'd you spend your time and your energy? Um, man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I spent a lot of time like helping to raise. I think helping raise my siblings. That was a big deal for me. I was like, my, my, I have a brother who's like a year younger than I am, and he, he he's completely like a wreck. He's not he's not the guy to go to when it came to like uh, watching my other siblings. So I was always had to be home at a certain time because my mother wanted to step out, or my, my stepdad wanted to step out, or something like that. Uh, I spent a lot of time playing basketball. As trash as I am, you, it, it wouldn't show. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's really bad. Like, I should be a lot better than I am right now. Um, but I think basketball helped definitely save my life in that way too because like, while a lot of my counterparts, like a lot of my peers in my hood were like wilding out doing all kinds of like, you know, gang activity and shit like that. Um, I was like, oh, basketball is cool. Like I didn't drink until I was like over 18, like maybe like 20 or so. And I feel like that's not the same for a lot of other kids in different schools. And, at least in my neighborhood, people drink at like 14, 15, stuff like that. I think it's like, it, the reason being was like basketball players, you want to go to NBA, you can't be drinking like this. So I spent a lot of time playing basketball. And a lot, I don't know, I read a lot, I guess. I used to read a little bit. Oh. Yeah, I read a little, a little bit, a little, little fiction here and there. Like library or where did yeah. you get the stuff? Yeah, I would get it for the library most of the time. I had like public li- And then I, then, and then I, I, I went over doing my shit. <laughs> then they took my library card away. I still owe them the Lion King. I like took the money from the, <laughs> from the library, never returned it. So I think my credit might be crazy, messed up with them. They, they'll they'll just accumulate it. Like I borrowed yeah, books and I know, didn't return for ye- like ten years, fifteen years, and like if you go to the Flushing Library system now, there's like five <laughs> Kevin Yees. Yeah, right. It's like I have a wig and I have a mustache. I, I have just like different addresses. I like misspell my address. Yeah. Like, dude, it, they know how to get you. If they yeah, they got. They like you owe us twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> I was like, what the hell, dude? After a point, though, when it like. 
I woke up one day and mm. I was going to work and like I'm doing my work and suddenly I see like a voicemail came in and literally a debt collector on behalf of, of like Queen's Library. Wow. I was like, you have a debt of like $1,300. <laughs> was like, I'm not paying that. Oh my God. <laughs> the Lord of the Flies wasn't that great. <laughs> like, they're legit about this stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Come on now. <laughs> like, oh my God. The value of the book is gone. Stop it. Yeah, at that point, you just got to, like, give it up. As the, I'm yeah. surprised they even got the debt collected. Like, why even bother at this point? Why are you here? Like, why are you calling me? <laughs> this is a terrible job. I'm sorry, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. My time was I spent, like, I don't know, hanging out with my friends in the streets and stuff like that. Try, I wasn't trying to stay out of trouble. Definitely was getting in trouble, but, like, not, like, not real trouble. You know, just kicking it on the block, man. Like, as crazy as that sounds, just, like, hanging out on stoops and shit. Which is a ten hindsight, a terrible waste of time. Like I get it. Look at my man Kevin out here doing internships at Merrill Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Not I'm a just, good way to start this. Yeah, one, right. And I'm just out here kicking it. <laughs> <laughs> you trying to go to the corner store? You trying to trying to play, trying to hoop? Yeah, man. So, how, how long was McDonald's? Uh, two years, man. That that McDonald's did it for me though. I'll say that that did it oh. for me. It added like it, because it was real. Now I needed the money. Yeah, it, I never had any money. So I, now I'm now I'm making money on a consistent basis. Instead of before where I was cutting school, you couldn't, I couldn't cut school forever. Eventually, I did catch me. Uh, it'd be like, you know, I had a real job. They gave me a, a shift that, I, I don't know, I guess I showed at that point that I was responsible. So they gave me the 6 a.m. shift, which is terrible. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's good if you want to get off at 2, you get off at 2. Um, but t- come on, 6 a.m. Was, I was getting up at 5.30 every day. So at, I think once that kind of set it out, it started getting me like, in the mode of like, all right, you could be responsible. I hated the job. It's like, have you been to the McDonald's? On Sutter Avenue, you see the E train. It's right there by uh, JFK. What do you call it? L I R. The air train. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. no. Oh, you gotta take it at some time. I'll take you. <laughs> nice small McDonald's. It was. There every single time. That every was time. you. Yeah, yeah. I was there. No Me. way. Is oh, it still man. there? What's that? It's oh just... yeah, it's there. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I go there every single. It's. I don't know. It's like a right of passage. Well, they, 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 they only hire the best. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was terrible. So we didn't have a like we didn't have a public bathroom. And no one really wanted to hear that. They're like, where do you go to the bathroom? I was like, I go somewhere else. You know, you gotta lie. <laughs> what are you gonna say? Yeah. So, you know, they would say some wild stuff. They would be like, fine, I'm gonna pee right here in this corner. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my. See, would, I didn't know. Would how, they follow up on their claims? I, I'm, I don't know how dark you wanna get on this podcast, oh but boy. I definitely, I, there was some bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> One time, this, we had like a door that opened down to like where we kept the food downstairs, like the, in the freezer and stuff. Somebody went down there and like, did their business and like we noticed and had to tell one of the dudes like yo you want to go clean that up please like somebody has to clean this you know like so we had to tell the other guy that worked in the back like yo man you gonna see us clean up the floor (laughs) they did like that's it was messed up man it was it was it was a a tough place to be um but it was was humbling i made great friends you know i i think what did it for me was i used to see uh it was a small mcdonald's i used to see the owner of this of this franchise come in all the time and he would come to the back and grab uh, all the money that I felt like I helped earn for the store. Uh, and I would watch him and I'd go, damn, this man is coming here every time. Hey, guys, how's it going? And we just chopping up. Hey, how's it going, Dave? He's like, yeah, let me get the money. <laughs> go to the back, this big-ass thing of money. And he's like, all right, see you later. <laughs> and like, I just leave. And I'd be like, damn, I want to be Dave. I don't want to be me. Like, <laughs> my job sucks. And I just remember one day I was looking out the I – was, I was holding the register. I worked the register. So I was holding the register. No, was in the store. And I was looking out the window. We had this big stained glass window. We could just look out and see the streets. And then, like, emotionally charged, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is my life now. And at that moment, I, it scared the fuck out of me, man. I was like, yo, this is you. Like, everything that you grew up around that you always said you wouldn't want to be, 
like you wanted to get the hell out of this neighborhood, this environment, you're it. You are part of this environment. This is you now. And I realized I worked a, I had no money. The, the general manager of my job wasn't making shit. It's like there was no prospect moving up. And it's like, this is my life now. And it scared the hell out of me. And I was like, I got to get, I got to figure a way to get the hell get the hell up out of here. And I think that's when I had the lofty dream. Somehow I'm going to go to the NBA. Maybe that'll be a way to make money. And I used to talk to the owner of the store, David, come by. I'm like, what do I got to do? And he told me, he kept the buck on me. And I, I was a really good employee at this place. He said, you're not going to do it doing here. Like, this is not it. You're not going to, like, make it here. And I think then I was just like, I got to figure out how to get out of here. And then college was it. Now that's what I spoke to the lady. And she said, hey, look at these schools. And then TC3 came to the front. I said, I'll do that. And the rest is this. We now on TC3. Stays up $1,000, which is a lot of money when he was only making two fifty a week. How are tryouts? Oh, I didn't even try out for the team. <laughs> really? No, not at all. What? Yeah, man. Didn't even try out. I got up there. Apparently, the coach was like picking, hand-selecting people already for the city who are really good. Actually, they're way better than me, so they probably deserve <laughs> to be there. But I was like, I don't know. I think I was a little self-conscious, and I was like, you know, I heard he kicks, pe- he kicks people off the team if your grades weren't good enough. So I said, you know what, Ig, you don't want to fail out because this is all you got. I feel like I only have one shot at this, right? So I'm like, I have to do well. And my first semester, I got a 3-4-3, which in my mind, I thought that was great. And uh, and I came back home, and I worked my, my winter break at McDonald's again, and I told the, um, the owner of the store, like, y'all got 3-4-3. And he's like, where do you go? I was like, TC3. He's like, that's not great. Like, do better. And I walked off. I was like, oh, fuck, I got to do better than this. Uh, and so, like, the next semester, I met the right people. I did better. And then then I think what happened was, like, it clicked for me. I was like, oh, fuck basketball, man. Like, somebody – I had this professor who looked out for me and just straight up told me, like, Ig, you're not going to the NBA. Like, you're 21. You got bad knees. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not that great. And I was like, all right, man. Like, this, this education shit is going to have to work. And then, uh, yeah, just dedicated myself to the studies, dedicated myself to, like, being involved on campus. And I had saw someone make the jump from TCU to Cornell – and I said, wait a minute, I didn't even know that was possible. Talk to me, how did you do this? And he kept it funky, told me what he did. And after that point, it was my mission to get to Cornell, like my mission. Like I worked for the school and in admissions, and I would tell people, my name is Ignacio Saldana, I'll have to go by Iggy, and I'm going to Cornell. Like that was like, I was saying that aloud. Talk about speaking some shit into the universe, I was, that was it. I, was, <laughs> I felt like everything was open up and unfold when I got to Cornell. Um, yeah, man, and then, like, I, was, I applied, shit worked out, and next thing I knew, I was ice skating in the Cornell's rink when they get, when I, I transferred in. They do this little, uh, you know, orientation and stuff, and they let you go to the ice skating rink, and I, I don't really know how to ice skate, but I'm in here, I'm looking around, I'm skating the flags, and I'm like, I can't believe I made it. This, I made this shit happen. This is crazy. And, yeah, that was it, man. And I, then I got to kick it with you and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> then I met Kev and, and Sam O'Fan um, and Mark Hersberg. <laughs> And at the flu- yeah, it was a great time. And at that point, yeah, it was dope. It was dope at that point. I, well, what made you think Cornell was going to be such a such a great solution that I just type like I'm going to Cornell, I'm going to Cornell, I'm going to Cornell. Yeah. Like I think I, I had no idea until this day. I actually have no idea. What would it get you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I just knew we were in well TCU's in like in Cornell's backyard. So once I saw, well, I was like, oh, this, I didn't know what Ivy League schools were. It's that's what's crazy. One of my my office mate now he went to Duke undergrad. And I told him, I just said, I didn't know Duke was a good school. I, Duke was just, I thought it was just a basketball school. Like, this is my mindset growing up. So I didn't even know Cornell was Ivy League. I didn't, I didn't know what Ivy League meant. You know, I knew Harvard and Yale and Princeton maybe, but that was it. So once I found out, like, Cornell was right there, I was like, oh, shoot, like, that's Ivy? I want to go there if I can go. And, you know, you didn't think you could. But then when I saw that dude do it, I was like, oh, no, no, no. 
this is going to do it. It's Ivy League. I'm going to – I thought I was going to fail out of order. I, I not fail out. I didn't think I was going to do well there. I was like, I'm doing well here. Yeah, sure. I'm like a big fish in a small pond. This is the real shit. This is the real deal on that side. You guys, you guys, look at you. Look at Kevin. You, you, you guys did well to get yourself to go to Cornell. I'm like, I, I kind of, <laughs> I tell the joke. I, I told, remember the joke I was, I was like, I played an intense game of Monopoly with Scorton, and I won, <laughs> you know? And that's how he let me in off of that. Uh, I felt like I kind of, like, snuck my way in. So I, I thought I wouldn't do well. So my objective was just to get in and schmooze up to some real cool people who did well for themselves and, and be cool with them. And maybe they'll, like, push me down some paths so I can work for them or something like that. And, uh, you know, I did well at Cornell. I'll say that. <laughs> I said the opposite came true. Yeah, how did you succeed so well in this pretty competitive environment? Uh, at Cornell specifically? Yeah. Um, yo, man, I, I, you had, I thought I would – failure meant going back home. And going back home was not an option for me. That's what it really came down to. I was not playing. I, took it, I had a schedule every day. When you knew me, I had a schedule every day. Like I, knew, I wrote out every day when I was waking up, what I was doing, what time I was eating breakfast, when I would go to the gym, when I would go to class, when I would read for which class. I was – carve out personal time like all I was not messing around and I think it all goes back to like I don't I never want to feel like how I felt back when we had nothing and we was fighting for like chicken patties from the church you know such good scheduling like talking with me and Mark and then hitting on her somehow came into the schedule <laughs> in this very yeah, exactly. disciplined schedule you guys were all taking away from y'all for helping me not succeed right I lied to Iggy when I met him. Oh, what? Um, yeah, so... Comes out. Hearing him and hearing about him from mutual friends that he's, like, super smart, has, like, this 4.0 GPA, doing really well, um, whatever, all this stuff. I felt the need to let him know that I had this stellar GPA because I did not do well my first year at Cornell. Um, I had, like, a 2.8 or something like that. And I told Iggy, oh, yeah, I have a 3.6 GPA. And somehow I finessed in a, like, winter internship at J.P. Morgan that needed a 3.5 GPA minimum. And I think he had saw that, and he just, like, kind of went along with it or something. Because for me, I was just like, oh, wow, I finessed this. I'm going to keep going with it, even though I only have, like, a 2A GPA. It says it needs 3.5. He thinks I have a 3.6. Okay, this works out really well. And then one day, one day, I think he was just like, oh, like, and this is right before, like, we made it official that we're, like, on a date, that he was just like, oh, I love you. And I broke down crying. And he thought probably the worst thing possible. And I'm like, I've been lying to you this whole entire time. And he was like, what? What? Like, what are you lying about? Like, why are you stop crying? I was like, I don't have a 3-6. <laughs> and, and then the funny, the craziest thing, and this kind of gets, like, this shines a little bit about, this shows a little bit about Iggy's character. He was just like, what do you mean? I was like, I, I actually have a two way. He was like, oh, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, but we are going to work on that GPA though, because this is ridiculous. You can't keep going like this. Yeah. That's how I felt. I was like, I, I thought she, you know, I mean, if girl says, oh my God, I've been lying this whole time. I'm going to tell you, you're ready for the worst. She's like, oh, this is going to be some bullshit. <laughs> and then she says, I have a two way GPA. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't care about that right now. And he's like, but I do. I said, damn. But yes, this has to go up because this won't work well for me. Like, I, <laughs> there was no way I was going to date somebody who wasn't going to be serious in the classroom. If I'm going to be out here buzzing my ass, so we're going to have to be serious together. And we did. Yeah, it is. I yeah. got my first 4.0 because of Iggy. Don't say ooh, I encouraged you. <laughs> Wait, Iggy, how did you end up doing so well in school? 
you were hitting seventies in high school. What, the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened? Like, ah, shoot. You know, man, it's one of those things where, like, I'll be honest with you, if I reflect back, I feel like if given the proper circumstances, maybe I would have done well in high school. Because, you know, you got to understand I had a lot going on at home. I was always late to school. I skipped a lot of school. You know, just my priorities were a lot different back then. So, although I could I could be wrong, and maybe I just needed, like, the fire under my ass and, like, recognizing, like, yo, you know what's up. If you don't do well in school now, McDonald's, this is your future. Uh, maybe that's it, too. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just did everything I was supposed to do. I stopped playing around. I, I took. I was really. I was really like by the books back then. You know, I wasn't messing around. Um, yeah, you got to understand what my home life looked like. It was like I, my, I'm the oldest of seven, so it's six kids, and then my mother, and the house is in shambles. Oh man, this is tough. Like I come home from like school and we're squatting at a, a place. You know, we don't even like own the place. My mom, we're just like living there. There's no heat. It's the dead of winter. We have no heat, and the way we keep the house warm is we open the oven and like let leave the shit on broil and let the, sh- which is that's fine. Like I'm sure a lot of people have had to done, do this. What would be fucked up was like I was sleeping in the living room because of course after I left for school, like my bedroom was immediately taken over. It was commandeered. Uh, when you leave the the oven door open and it's on broil, condensation begins to develop in there <laughs> in the bedroom or in the living room. And it was water droplets falling onto my face while I'm trying to sleep for work the next morning. And I'm like, I got to get the hell out of here. And if you have that as your background where it's like, this is it's either this or this, I could take living next door to Kev. Like, <laughs> this, this works for me. You know? Um, yeah, that was just it, man. It's the dry. I, just, I, just had, I had, had to do it. I don't know. And I had got a lot of encouragement. I think once I did well at TC3 a little bit, I had a lot of people to look out for me and say, hey, man, you know you're kind of smart. Or not, rather, you know if you keep at this hard, you keep at this hard work and shit, it's going like, to do something for you in the future. And I, I just held fast to that notion that if I kept working hard, that somehow, somehow it all work out for me. How did you find good friends and mentors at Cornell when you came in late and came from probably a very different background from everybody else you met in class? Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, damn. How did I do that? I, I was, well, I joined Alpha. What? Mr. Lawrence. Yeah. I, oh man. Look at, so I had one guy I met through that same dude that I told you about that uh, that um, told me about Cornell and like how he made the transition from TC three to Cornell. He introduced me to a guy, rest in peace, uh, Mr. Leon Lawrence, who uh, I I'm, I won't go into detail because it'll make me uh, sad. But it was a great mentor to me, man. Um, like he he bought me my first suit. He like put me in connection with people like I didn't know on campus, like what resources were available. And I think through him, I got to meet some really interesting people, some cool people. Uh, before I got to Cornell, I already knew I wanted to be an alpha. Uh, and once I, I was like trying to be an alpha from the get, like once I got there, because everybody on campus and everybody who I looked up to and had done well on campus were all alphas. And I was like, I want to be one of those guys. Those, they look like me, they talk like me. They're not necessarily from the same background as me, but it, it's who I'm trying to emulate and be like. And uh, so I was, I don't know, I think my pers- through Mr. Lawrence, through you guys, you know, I know you guys are my first friends on campus, for real. I, I kicked it with you guys most of the time. Um, and then pursuing Alpha, I got a whole bunch of more friends through that, you know, just, just through my, my, my connection there. And I just, I don't know, I was, I, was fortunate, I was fortunate enough to find myself surrounded by people who are like-minded, right? Like, you weren't messing around. You, like, you, like, you, you were messing, we were all we were all messing around, but we were, like, kind of serious about this shit. So, I don't know. I just feel like I've been fortunate and blessed and that everybody around me has been like, yo, I'm also kind of, like, not fucking around. I got shit to take care of, shit to take care of back home, you know? So, it kind of keeps you inspired. It keeps you grounded. 
And if you, you see people who are like you and, and from places like where you're from, uh, irrespective of like exactly where they're from, and we're all in the grind together, that, that it, keeps, it keeps you going, I think. I think so.